look, the best analogy for where we are with biomaterials is the early internet days. We are still in the pre-dial-up phase. Hello, fellow Grow Everything listener. This is Iram. And today we're in for a special treat because I am interviewing Carl about his recent trip to Paris where he attended the Biofabricate conference. Now, Carl has been attending Biofabricate ever since its inception, almost 10 years ago. So he's been seeing a lot of people in this growing community where they have ideas that were just little baby ideas, and now they have grown into large corporations that are being acquired by bigger corporations. It's going to be exciting to talk about what trends Carl's been seeing, who he's talking to, what type of startups are actually coming online that didn't exist, but only exist because there is a biomaterials and personal care and beauty that's focused on biotech, only because there is a biomaterials and a bio-ingredients industry that's coming online. So let's hear my interview with Carl and learn more about what happened at Biofabricate 2024. Hey, Carl. Welcome back to Brooklyn. You've been away. We've missed you. Tell us, where have you been? What were you doing? Well, welcome back to you, Iran, because you traveled a lot further than I did. I just barely crossed the Atlantic. I went to Paris and to Venice. I joked around about it in the last episode saying I'm probably one of the only people in the world has gone to Venice for biotech business, which is very exciting. But then after that, I went to Paris for the Biofabricate meeting. And I think you and I, when we first started the podcast, we had just been at Biofabricate 2022. Is that possible? Well, we talked about it because when I started working with you again, the first thing we did was go to Biofabricate, which happened here in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Navy Yard in a space called New Lab, which is an amazing co-working space that focuses on innovative hardware companies. And they are now carving out space for biotech companies. So it was the perfect place to have Biofabricate in Brooklyn. It was the first Biofabricate after COVID. Yeah. So it was some time because Biofabricate has been happening for so many years and you've been part of the first one. So any kind of back history you want to share about Biofabricate? Yeah. So Biofabricate actually turned 10 this year. The first one was held in New York City in Times Square in the Microsoft building in a relatively small conference room. And I remember 2014, I took Alejandro with me. It was like one of these things. Alejandro was still in high school. He's now graduated from college with a master's degree. So that whole thing has gone on. Besides being just blown away by the presentation, and then I'll give some context. What I do remember about that first biofabricate was that no one wanted to leave. It was one of those few events where the event ended and they had to kick us out. It was two and a half hours later before we left. Every time I tried to take a step to get out, I would run into someone who I really wanted to talk to. There was a ton of people there that you've become friends with and I'm still friends with. I mean, I think most notably people like Suzanne Lee, who has been on this podcast. Ginger from Biomason, who we just interviewed, was there at that first one. Christina Agapakis of Ginkgo Bioworks was there. I'm trying to think of who some of the other innovators were that were there. But I think it's important to set this up to give Biofabricate a little bit of context. So the clothes that we wear, the clothes that we buy, contribute something like between 2 and 8% of all global emissions. 
it is in the top three most polluting industries. So I think energy is number one, agriculture is number two, and I think fashion is number three. So there's a big, huge problem with fashion, with the clothes we wear. It requires a lot of water. I think it's 2,800 gallons of water to produce one t-shirt, and that doesn't even count the dye. Actually, that is something I do remember from the first biofabricate was seeing Andres Forgox Modern Meadow present the amount of water that it takes to grow cows to produce leather. That's something I distinctly remember. And before the conference, before I went to Paris, I posted on LinkedIn about this clothing dump in Chile that is so big that you can actually see it from space. And I was making the point, not just the amount of clothing and items that are produced, but also that a lot of the materials that are used to produce clothes are synthetics. So they're produced from oil. They also coat a lot of the clothing with synthetic coatings that make people sick. They're not healthy for people. They're not healthy for the environment. Even worse, a lot of this clothes is just not recyclable. So the amount of waste is completely unsustainable. And something that I learned at this conference is that 130 million cow hides, so this is 130 million cows that are grown probably for meat, 130 million hides are put into landfill every year. And that is just obscene. So that's the setup for Biofabricate. And the goal of the conference is to bring together the people who are innovating new materials and new approaches to fashion, personal care, and beauty, and to make a dent in this impact that the fashion industry is having on the environment and on the globe. Yeah, as you mentioned that people don't want to leave, I definitely still felt that this was probably now at this point, nine years after the first biofabricate where you stayed two hours later because of the different types of people that were in the room, right? You had the biotech people, the fashion people, everyone having their own expertise and just talking about one problem and a variety of solutions. So it's just very exciting to rethink a whole industry and taking it apart, looking at the problems and putting it back together. It's a 10-year anniversary of Biofabricate in Paris. How did it compare to the Biofabricate that happened in Brooklyn? And where exactly was it in Paris? Paint a picture, Carl. Paint a scene for us. Okay. So <laughs> the venue is very interesting. The venue is outside the city limits of Paris in a town or village called Pantin. P-A-N-T-I-N. Pantin. It's a very kind of industrial location. It's like a campus that's being rebuilt. And initially, I think it was a fermentation facility for the pharmaceutical industry. So it has some roots in biotechnology. And this location is going to become a venue where there's a lot of shows and art and different kinds of innovation comes from this place. Suzanne Lee, who is the main organizer of Biofabricate, had mentioned to us that there had been people who had already been asking to buy out the space from under her because they want to use a space. And she predicts that this is going to be one of those big cultural centers that exists in Paris. But just to give you a sense of how far it is from central Paris, I mean, central Paris, you would say, is on the River Seine. And I wasn't staying there. I was staying a little bit further into Paris in what's called the 19th arrondissement, which is the 19th borough or something like that, if we want to call it that. And I took the subway, so the metro, it took 15 minutes, so very close relatively on the metro. But then it was a 15 minute walk. And I was walking past like garages, grocery stores, 
the sidewalk was a little bit messed up. It felt a little bit gritty. That said, it was a super nice venue. It was the perfect venue for Biofabricate. There was probably between three and 500 people in the room. A lot of people that we know, several people who have been here on the podcast, but then a lot of people who we don't know. It was a very international crowd. There were people from very big companies, big fashion brands were there. So like LVMH, Hermes, Caring is one of the sponsors. Caring is a big company. And then there was these other big companies that were like, for example, a company called Stahl, which is a global tannery. And they specialize in tanning cow hides to turn them into leather that get used across shoes and handbags and clothing. So they were there as well. You mentioned that in Paris, the actual conference was in an industrial chic area, which tracks for Suzanne and Biofabricate because New Lab, where it happened in 2022, was also a little bit tricky to get to from center of Manhattan and is also an industrial chic place. So looks like Biofabricate has their vibe and they're sticking to it. Yeah, and you mentioned New Lab at the beginning, and one of the guys from New Lab gave a nice talk during the conference, introducing people to New Lab, their philosophy, the facility that they just opened in Detroit, how they have been focused on mobility startups, on different kinds of startups. They invest in these startups. It was really a good way of seeing them tell their story and how they could be impactful for this biofabrication industry and how it applies to other industries. Because at materials, I mean, at the end of the day, biofabricate is really about the materials revolution. And that revolution is being driven by biotechnology, but also by innovative new ways of looking at materials. So using AI computation, deep tech, or new ways to create new materials and look at them differently. So we're thinking about circularity. We're thinking about end of life. But it was good to see the new lab people there represent. Then one of the slides that the guy from New Lab showed had a picture of our friend Sarah Najad in it. So I took a picture and I sent it to Sarah and she said, oh, I'm glad my picture made it all the way across the world, even if I didn't. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. It's great that you're able to see some of the companies that were part of Biofabricate for some time. There's been some from Biofabricate version one, two, three, and they were really at the very, very beginnings of their company, just ideas, just very small samples. But over time, these companies have been scaling. So any examples of companies that you've seen that have come a long way that are part of the Biofabricate community? Yeah, we're really lucky because two of those companies have been on Grow Everything. Those are Ecovative and Polybion. And then the other company that I think has really scaled pretty quickly is Microworks. Ecovative is from upstate New York. They start off by trying to replace packaging materials that weren't sustainable, which they've continued to do. But then they also have branched into building materials. They make leather. They also have a food division called My Forest Foods. I've eaten the bacon. I was an early trier of that. and I bought it from my local grocery store. But they have expanded immensely. Gavin, the co-founder of Ecovative, was there, gave a fascinating presentation showing how they're converting industrial facilities around the world to be able to produce their material. So I was super, super impressed. Microworks is another mycelium company that specializes in producing a very high-end leather-like product. And I believe they have a deal with Hermes. So traditional, probably two-century-old leather producer is now using a mushroom leather, a mycelium leather product in a very high-end bag. And then the third 
company that has really scaled up is Polybion. And we had both brothers on very early on Grow Everything. Polybion is based in Mexico. They can produce a million square feet of their material. We've done some work with them in the past. One of the things that Alexis Gomez Ortingosa, the CEO of Polybion, said was very apropos of the conference. And he's like, look, the best analogy for where we are with biomaterials is the early internet days. We are still in the pre-dial-up phase. I think that was key to put things into context. But I'll talk about some of the other companies and then we'll talk about some of the successes we've seen. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have Polly Bion's episode, Ecovative, also, of course, Suzanne Lee's episode in the show notes if you want to deep dive into what their companies are doing and their perspectives. Highly recommend listening to those as well. Biofabricate early on was focusing on materials and then they expanded into personal care and beauty as it's related to fashion and also experiencing a biotech renaissance. So what personal care and beauty companies were represented at Biofabricate this year? The big company that had the most exciting news was our friends and client K18 Hair. So if you've been living under a rock or you're not paying attention to grow everything, (laughs) K18 was purchased by Unilever at the beginning of December. We have been working with K18 almost since the beginning of the company. They have developed a biotech product that repairs hair from the inside out. And they've continued to roll out interesting products. Saveen Sahib, the CEO, who has also been on Grow Everything, opened up the second day of Grow Everything in about a three-hour section that was really about personal care and beauty. Saveen and K18 have proven that you can take pharmaceutical manufacturing techniques and apply them to personal care. Savine rightly said that the acquisition by Unilever is really a win-win for everybody that's applying biotech to beauty, even in the biomaterial space, because what it demonstrates is that big companies are interested in these products, and they do understand that biomaterials and biomanufacturing are the future. At the last panel of the day, someone said, we need a K-18-like acquisition of a biomaterials company. So everybody kind of had that on their mind. And kudos to us because we have been working with K-18 for a long time. And people kept asking me, what's the deal with K-18? What are they going to do now? What does that mean for Messaging Lab? Things are very positive between us and K-18. But people were very excited about that acquisition. Everybody was asking me about it. So congratulations again to Savine and his team. We're so, so proud of you. Yeah, but I would say congratulations to Unilever for yeah. acquiring K-18 because K-18 did all of the hard work. They came up the product, they scaled it up, they created the brand, they got mass adoption. What was it, like $300 million in revenue per year? They did all the hard work. We'll have to get the inside scoop from Savine, but was there a bidding war? Were other companies interested in acquiring K-18? Did Unilever just have the best option and the most money or maybe not the most, but better vision that aligned with Savine and Britta, his co-founder? There's just so much to learn from this, learning lessons from how K-18 grew and then also understanding the interest from these very, very, very big companies and why K-18 decided to go with Unilever, because I feel like they were in a position to have multiple bidders. But I'm just speculating this. We'll have to get that inside scoop from Savine if he's willing to talk about it. These things are very personal and probably confidential from a fiduciary responsibility. But I'm excited to hear what's next and what's on the docket for Messaging Lab and K-18 
Yeah, you bring up some really good points. The K-18 playbook is something that we talk a lot about with Savine and his team. We know that other people have been paying close attention to what K-18 has done. And I think people are going to pay even more attention to this now that this acquisition has happened. I think it's going to end up being a case study, like a Harvard Business School case study, because it happened very quickly. It's basically a three and a half, four-year-old company, came out of nowhere, launched during the pandemic, leveraged TikTok very intelligently charged a premium price, became a cult favorite among stylists, had a very specific playbook in the way that they marketed. And I think they hold lessons for everybody in the personal care and beauty space, and probably also in the material space. So I think we've got a lot to ask Savine about the acquisition. We'll have to get him back on here and get those questions. But there were a lot of other personal care and beauty companies that presented. So one thing that was different about this biofabricate that didn't happen before was there were lightning talks. So they would do a panel, there would be an interview with an innovator, and then there would be like four or five companies that would present for two to three minutes. And so on the personal care and beauty side, BioWeg is a company that we know very well, we've done a little bit of work with. They are developing a biological alternative to microbeads that are used in all sorts of cosmetic products, but they also are used to coat seeds so that seeds have a certain consistency and can last a little bit longer. So if you think about it, today you coat seeds with plastic and you put them in the ground, the plastic dissolves, leaches into the ground, pollutes the ground, and then the seed grows. What if there were a biological alternative to that? Well, BioWeg is one of the companies that is doing that. Another company that I thought was super interesting that we also know, and maybe at some point we'll get her on here, Curico, who started in GenSpace, is a North Carolina-based cosmetics ingredients company that had a number of interesting products that they showcased. Erica Milchek is the CEO. It was good to see her. I had seen her since Symbio Beta, and it sounds like they're doing really, really well. And there were a number of other companies that are just addressing different parts of the beauty and personal care supply chain, just like there are on the material side. Oh, yeah. I'm so interested in learning who they are and how they're differentiating themselves. We've had a couple of collagen producing companies here. Were they there, Carl? Yeah. So Geltor was not there, but Cambrium, which is a Berlin-based collagen company, was there. And Gelatech also was not there, who has been on the podcast, but they should have been there. Cambrium, it was good to see the progress they're making. We know them a little bit, not so well, but it was good to have them present what they're doing on the collagen side, because collagen is such an essential ingredient, not just in personal care and beauty, but also in medical applications, in film applications, it ends up being used a lot. So being able to produce collagen sustainably without having to render animals, which is disgusting, is really cool. Yeah. Rendering animals, that term just sounds disgusting. Yeah. yeah. And then back onto the material side, I remember when we were at Biofabricate 2022, one of the things that you were really interested in finding are coding companies. We spoke to a lot of biomaterial companies and they do a lot of research in creating a biologically based, sustainable green product, but they need to code it to have a nice finish to protect the fibers. And there really wasn't an alternative or a biological-based coding company. And I remember you were like, let's start one because you just saw a demand. And I'm like, that seems like a lot of work to start something like that. And definitely very different from Messaging Lab. But what's going on in that space? I remember you texted me saying that there's been some coding companies. What were you seeing? What are they doing? So it was really interesting to see 
it was part of two trends that I noticed. One is there were companies that basically felt like they were serving the companies that were there. So there's multiple companies that are developing biomaterials. Those biomaterials, as you said, need to have a coating. So one of the companies that really stood out is a company called Material. The research for Material actually came out of national labs. I think one of the co-founders was at the big pharma company Gilead or Celgene. I can't remember exactly. And then the other co-founder had been at Patagonia, so someone who knows materials really well. And it turns out that polyurethane is something like the sixth most used plastic in the world. So its applications are wide. Polyurethane gets used for everything. Seeing material in there, the CEO is a woman named Jacqueline. I think we should try to get her on the pod. She would describe the company, the work that they're doing, how the company came to be. And then there was two or three other companies that were doing the same thing. They're developing coatings for new biomaterials. So I really loved seeing that because it felt like the solutions that people are looking for are being developed by other innovators. The other trend that I thought was really interesting was a number of companies have figured out the way to make the change is to be as plug and play as possible. What I mean by that is, if you think about it, there's a multi, probably trillion dollar infrastructure already in place for producing plastics. And many plastics that are produced from petroleum start off as these tiny beads, smaller than maybe you would see like in a bracelet. But those beads are just a pure form of a plastic. And then what happens is that form factor is put into a machine that melts it and turns it into whatever the product is. Seeing companies that are thinking that way, but they're maybe producing those beads through a biological means and producing a completely sustainable plastic, but being able to produce it in a way that fits right into the supply chain or fits into the machinery, I thought was really smart. So I felt there's a level of sophistication that I hadn't seen before that I was very, very happy to see. And I think an example of this is probably our friends at Checkerspot, because I'm pretty sure that the team at Checkerspot does this as well. They make a microalgae oil, and I'm pretty sure that they also make the beads that fit into that existing infrastructure. Okay, so this is more of an insight for material companies to make these beads to fit into existing manufacturing and, and supply chains, I guess. Exactly. Okay, okay. So besides Checkerspot, do you came across other companies that are making these beads to fit into plastic production? Yes. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but we'll put them in the notes. But yeah, there was a number of those companies that are doing it. I think the other thing that we've said is going to be a theme for 2024 is biomanufacturing. New York-based Synonym, who we had met last year at C16 Biosciences, is a company that is developing more biomanufacturing facilities. They're not the only one. There's public partnerships that are doing this. The government is funding the development of these facilities. Synonym has built a tool that allows manufacturers to look at biology and the biomanufacturing infrastructure and calculate the total addressable market. And apparently that tool has been very, very well received. And Synonym is looking at biomanufacturing infrastructure as a novel asset class. And that's something we'll talk a little bit more about. And we'll try to get Edward here on the podcast as well. Another company that was there that was talking about this was a smaller company called Captra Bioreactors, who is working on developing specific kind of bioreactors for biomaterials. And we know that the bioreactors is actually something that's really interesting because not everything can be fermented. Fermentation has its limits. We need solid state fermentation. There's a lot of issues associated with traditional fermentation. So it was exciting that there was a company like Haptra there 
talking about this. It's worth mentioning Arsenal at Bio, who's another Italian, actually based in Venice, biomanufacturing company that's working on developing the data infrastructure for biomanufacturing. I did not get to go to the Arsenal in Venice, but that's where they took their inspiration from. It was a little bit further away than I wanted to walk in my limited time there. But I'm looking forward to digging into what Arsenal is doing and learning more about their progress. Same with Synonym, same with Capra. I think these are all very exciting developments. Yeah, that's great. Something I wanted to know if you were able to gain some insight on was that there's all these biomaterial companies, they're scaling up. You mentioned some new biomanufacturing, new bioreactors, repurposing, plastic manufacturing. But is there enough infrastructure to satisfy the amount of biomaterials that we need? So that's a controversial question. Because two years ago, I was in a meeting in London where everybody was bemoaning the fact that there is not enough biomanufacturing infrastructure. And that narrative shifted over the course of the following year where people were saying, actually, there's just not enough products that need biomanufacturing infrastructure. But then really over the last year, you've seen the U.S. government and other governments around the world really make an effort to put more biomanufacturing infrastructure in place. And it's not just coming from governments. It's also coming from private companies. So Synonym's an example. Arsenal Bio is another one. And then public-private partnerships. And then really big companies like the owner of Anheuser-Busch, AB InBev, is also throwing their hat in the ring with their BioBrew initiative, which basically is, if you and I have a company, we want to ferment a lot, we could go to BioBrew and get hundreds and thousands of liters of a material so that we can put it into food or whatever it is that we're trying to manufacture. So there is a lot of activity in that space. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to dig into it this year, because I want people to understand that this is real and that people are looking to create these materials and the infrastructure is in place. And if there's more infrastructure, it means production is easier and less costly. Yeah, I'm excited to dig more into it. Just like, was it Axel who said that we are at the biomaterials industry is at the dial-up part of the internet's history? Yeah, that was Axel said that, yeah. Axel said that. So yeah, I mean, if we're that early into this industry, it requires a lot of development of infrastructure. So if you build it, they will come. That's what happened with the internet. And hopefully this is the same thing that happens with biomaterials, bioingredients, and the bioeconomy overall. Yeah. What about the startups? What was a wildest company you saw? You're like, oh, wow, good for them for doing that. I'm excited to see if they scale up type of situation. Yeah, let me hold off on the wildest company for just a second, because I do want to mention a couple of things. So there were a number of very cool footwear startups, which I think were fascinating. Uh, footwear, shoes are a huge environmental problem. I think the shoe industry produces enough to shod to put at least five pairs of shoe on every person on the planet every year. And shoes are made from different materials. They use a lot of different kinds of glue. They're basically not recyclable. So shoes are a huge problem when it comes to environmental impact. So it's very cool to see a company called Simply Fiber. Maria Incher Orang, I probably butchered her name, was there. We had seen her at Biofabricate last year. They're in scale-up mode. And what's cool about them is they basically use like a cellulose slurry, like you can imagine a cardboard slurry. And they have machinery where they can press that into shoes. So she had a lot of those to show us. 
But even more wild than that was one of the other shoe companies, Belena, collaborating with Vivo Footwear. And they showed this shoe that looks like something from the future, but basically you can take your phone, take pictures of your feet, you'll send it to them, and they will 3D print with a completely compostable biomaterial, a shoe for you. It's wild looking. We're going to have to find some pictures so we can show it. But they launched at Biofabricate. They gave a long talk about their process, their inspiration. I just thought that that was one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. So I'm really looking forward to that. But when it comes to the wildest company, and I want to talk about this a bit, the wildest company that presented was an indie bio New York company called Oxia. And they are developing living materials. So we talk about growing everything, but not very many people about, are talking about living materials that you would wear. How often do I have to feed my shirt? You know? <laughs> yes, I love and it. Not only were they talking about living materials as a textile, but they were also talking about them as for covering all surfaces, which I think is fascinating because we do have a lot of old concrete buildings that we're not going to tear down because the carbon investment is so great. But like, imagine coating buildings with a living material that absorbs carbon, maybe produces oxygen, cleans the air. I thought that was really radical. And I want to get to know them a lot more because I was very excited for them. Is then, it like what's going on in my background? <laughs> yeah, it kind of is like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you take the green from behind your microphone, it reminded me of that kind of thing. And I mean, there's been a lot of people talking about 3D printing clothes. That's something that's been talked about for a long time. And when we talk about distributed biological manufacturing, like I want to really uncover and dig into what happens when you've got companies that are connected via the cloud and maybe are producing a commodity shoe or a commodity shirt in different places around the world, but then are using local biomass, but then they also tap into local artisans to produce very bespoke pieces that are maybe only available locally or on a global marketplace for unique pieces. That kind of thing is really fascinating to me. That wasn't really talked about. But at the very end, there was a panel where Suzanne Lee, Amy Cogden, Andy Bass of Ecovative, they were all on stage and they were talking about, well, what are they excited about for the year? What are they excited about for the future? I think it was Suzanne who said she's very excited that people really are also starting to look at nature. Again, going back to what you said about cultivarium and using different microbes, people looking at nature to see what nature already provides. So instead of trying to reinvent the wheel the way humans have constantly done, what does nature provide us that we can leverage and use that to create living materials or create new ways of producing clothing and things that we would wear? So I thought that that was super cool. Another biofabricate in the can, if you as a listener have never been, I can highly recommend it because it's a tremendous conference. And I think having it in Paris is really interesting. I only met someone from Hermes. But I kept hearing that there were people from Chanel, from the big fashion houses, from LVMH. They are the early adopters of these materials. Stella McCartney has been a very early adopter of materials that are completely compostable and yet have interesting performance characteristics because what we're learning is as we develop things with biology, they're just not the same as what other materials are. So fascinating. 
Yeah. And I'm excited to see how all of these developments reinvent the way that we approach fashion. Rather, the, the fashion houses, they have creativity, they have legacy people that really enjoy aligning themselves with brands and putting them on their shirts. I'm sure they still continue to follow those big fashion houses. But I think there's an expression of creativity that's happening as people, we see it on TikTok and on Instagram where people, rather than watching shows, they're making shows, which I think is really interesting. But you mentioned 3D printing and distributed biomanufacturing. What if I could just go to my shoe store? What if I could just text the shoe design that I want at the local shoe shop that has a 3D printer there? And then I can just go pick up the shoes that I actually wanted. Exactly. So then you're not shipping them around the world. Yeah. And that's exactly what I want. There's no waste. It's designed in a way that should be lasting or easily biodegrade depends on what the purpose is and how much it costs. But I think that's the world we need to get to is just let's just print our own things in the local community printers. I think there's a Models that was here on Flatbush. I don't know if it's still there, but that would be the perfect place to have a 3D printing personalized manufacturing company there. It'd be perfect. And for those who don't know, the Models is right in front of Barclays Center, where the Brooklyn Nets play. And there is another shoe store there. I think there's a couple of them. But it is a destination that a lot of people go to. There's a mall across the street. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It would be the perfect place for a 3D printing shoe store or clothing store for that matter. Yeah. We talk about reinventing spaces, which was the hottest topic during COVID because no one was going to offices and people were like, oh, we can make this office into a pop-up store. (laughs) Pop-up restaurants became all the rage. I think they're still happening, at least here in Brooklyn. But now it's like rethinking space. Yeah. Make them into a micro manufacturing, personalized manufacturing. I don't know if that's a thing, a term, but we're making that. That's a term that we're using here at Grow Everything. So credit to us. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, it was great. You were definitely missed. A lot of people asked, where's he rum? How come your rum didn't make it to this? I was like, well, she's in India, so she couldn't make it. It was just good to see there was a lot of people who we know from Brooklyn, a lot of people we know from Biofabricate, a lot of people who we knew from Symbiobeta, and then a lot of new people that had come into the community, a lot of Europeans that I had never seen, had never met. Hopefully, we can get some of them on the pod. Just a level of excitement. I think Biofabricate is one of the most exciting conferences. Yeah, I think people love seeing the developments and the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. And there's a lot of people in our community that are making it happen. A big shout out to Suzanne Lee and her team for putting this event on. I know it's a lot of work. So Suzanne has been doing this. It's a labor of love for like 10 years. Her and her partner, Amy Congdon, one of the volunteers who's been there every year, Emma Least, someone who has been, I would say, instrumental in putting together Biofabricate. It was really good to run into Emma. She also has a podcast, which we'll need to learn more about. She's based in the Netherlands. She's also a professor of bio biodesign. Some of the other people that I just think are worth mentioning are like Amanda Parks, who we've interviewed from Pangai. She was on stage. She was there, introduced me to a bunch of people. Allison Cutland, who's based here in Brooklyn. It was good to see her there. So just a shout out to all the people who we know and who we love and can't wait to see them all soon. If I forgot anybody, I apologize. I'm still jet lagged and we are very busy at Messaging Lab right now. There's nothing like being away for a couple of days to remind you how busy you are. So uh, shout out to all of you and you can remind me that I forgot you if I did.
Yeah, awesome. So I'm excited that you're back. I'm back. We have a very busy year ahead of us. Like you said, we'll have the people that you met at Biofabricate on. Some of the noobs, some of the oldies, <laughs> we'll have them on. Biomaterials is something that we focus on here at Messaging Lab and Grow Everything. Among the different types of biotechnologies that are disrupting all industries. So please reach out to us if you have any comments, any thoughts, any questions about what's happening in biotech, especially when it comes to growing everything we need to sustain our lives. Please reach out to us. Call us on the Grow Everything hotline. You can text us if you're not into calling. That's not a thing anymore. No one speaks to each other on the phone. So feel free to text us. You'll hear from us. So thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you soon.